0: Strong
1: voices. It's not just about one state, it's not just about one community, it's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political
2: order. I am here and now, and I speak my language, I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialised logic are inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change
0: it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere.
2: What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people.
0: A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Thank you.
3: Hello, good morning, and welcome to Strong Voices. Apologies for some of the technical difficulties we've been uh, experiencing this morning, but uh, we're here for Strong Voices. It is, of course, uh, Wednesday, the 14th of August, 2019. We're coming to you live here from the Karma Radio Studios on Arundu Country, and we're broadcasting to all nations through our vast channel, 911. We're, of course, coming through on 8 FM here, Ian and at Alice Springs. We're also coming to you online via our website at karma.com. Well, uh, my name is Carl Dowling, and I'll be taking you all the way up until uh, 12 o'clock today on Strong Voices. Coming up on the show uh, today, uh, well, this week is obviously National Science Week. It's in full swing right across the country with thousands of events celebrating science and technology taking place. Uh, today, we're going to actually hear a discussion I had recently with an Aboriginal astrophysicist, uh, Carly Noon. Also, this year's uh, Gama Festival saw people from all walks of life right across the country, uh, right across Australia and even overseas coming together. The event is a platform for First Nations peoples to discuss issues affecting them and to look at pathways forward. Uh, Today, the CEO of the Yothi Indy Foundation, who run the Gama Festival, will be speaking about how the event went this year. We're also, of course, going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. We're going to head to a track now and then go into our first story right after that.
2: Hi, this is Pam from Karma and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio.
3: That's right, you're listening to Strong Voices here on Karma Radio. I'm your host, Kyle Dowling, and it's great to have your company this uh, Wednesday morning. We're going to head into our first story of the show now. Uh, Carly Noon grew up in a small town near Tamworth in New South Wales. Her fascination with maths began at the early age of eight and led her to study at the University of Newcastle where she became the first Indigenous student in New South Wales to obtain a double degree in maths and science, majoring in physics. Following her graduation, Miss Noon began a Masters of Astronomy and Astrophysics at the Australian National University and the CSIRO. She's also an advocate for Indigenous scientific knowledge, exploring topics such as Indigenous astronomy. I recently had an opportunity to sit down and speak with Miss Noon during National Science Week. Well, uh, it's that time of year again where, where science is celebrated across Australia through the exciting event of National Science Week. Today we're going to hear about astrophysics. Uh, and as you may have heard about it on things like the Big Bang Theory, but uh, to delve into it a bit more, joining me today, I would want to give a warm welcome to uh, Carly Noon on the Karma Network. Carly, thanks for joining us.
1: No worries. Thanks for having me.
3: Well, Carly, let's start by discussing a, a bit about yourself. You, you graduated with a double degree in, in maths and physics. How and why did you want to explore this area? Why, why maths and physics?
1: Hmm. Well, I, I was actually really lucky that I had I had an Arnie who would come over and she would teach me math and would have fun math games. And it was just something that was really enjoyable for me from a young age, thanks to this Arnie that, you know, kind of took care of me. And so I, I guess I was kind of given enjoyment for math from a young age. And then when I got a little bit older, I started to realize how much science and physics and math affected our everyday lives and how important it was for, for me going forward in this society that... You know, I, sh- I-, I felt like I should have known a little bit about that. Um, you know, I should-, I should understand where we're going and-, and how it's going to impact us. And, you know, just really wanted to have a voice in, in that. And so, yeah, I uh, put my head down and studied it.
3: Can you give us sort of an example of-, of some of those things that you were understanding that you were starting to see was actually, you know, a part of everyday life when you were looking at maths and physics?
1: One of the um, main examples for me growing up was looking at... I I was watching a lightning show. It was quite late at night, and I was quite young. I would have been about eight. And I was just amazed by, you know, this beautiful lightning show that the sky was putting on for us. And it just lit up the entire land. It It was beautiful, but... You know, I didn't. I didn't understand how that worked. I didn't understand how our skies worked, or how that was connected to the land. And that kind of encouraged me to to understand science a little bit more, understand the physics behind that, electricity, and then you know I could apply that to other areas in my life. How does how does my mobile phone work? How does my TV work? Everywhere I was kind of looking around, it, I was seeing it everywhere.
3: Now, you're an astrophysicist. Can you actually explain what an astrophysicist is?
1: There's a few different labels that we get. So, astrophysicist is what I call myself or consider myself. It's the work that applies the study of physics to objects in the sky. Now, another term that we often use is astronomer, and it's very similar to an an astrophysicist. But an astronomer is generally more concerned about measuring the properties of objects in the sky. So measuring their location, measuring their brightness, measuring their mass, whereas an astrophysicist is more concerned about the physics of that object. Another term that we get is astrologer. Now astrologer is, is in a whole other <laughs> um, ballpark altogether. It's looking at, at the different constellations in the sky. And then attributing social cues and personality traits to people based off the different constellations that they're
3: assigned. As you mentioned, some of the fields that are quite different, but do you still get questions sort of about, I guess, some of the, those different fields sort of applying to you almost?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess I kind of ask for that, right? You know, <laughs> I'm a, I consider myself a science communicator. And so a big part of that is talking to people about about the world, about how things work, about what's happening. Um, and, you know, I get lots of questions, lots of questions about aliens, of course. Um, my answer is always that, of course, aliens exist. We just can't see them
3: yet. <laughs> Um, And and talking about those understandings of space, when we talk about Indigenous knowledge, how much did our Indigenous ancestors know about space?
1: Yeah, look, um, this is a really important question and something we, we should have been asking a long time ago. The way that I answer this is, how much do you think Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people knew about the land? They we know that they knew huge amounts, of had huge amounts of knowledge about the land. Well, when we talk about country, we're not just talking about the land, we're talking about the waterways, the rivers, the oceans, and we're talking about the sky. So the amount of knowledge that Indigenous people had on the land, they had just as much of that knowledge about the sky. And this knowledge, you know, was incredibly sophisticated and embedded throughout, you know, our culture and our stories, and how we did things, how we how we lived our lives. Of course, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are one of the most sophisticated knowledge holders that we know of today. And you know, had an amazing ability to observe the natural world around them. So, yeah, they they <laughs> knew knew quite a lot about space.
3: And do do you think those understandings from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people over the years uh, about things like space uh, are becoming more sort of understood and and recognised and respected?
1: Yeah, definitely. We're still understanding and uncovering. Some of this amazing knowledge that was held by the custodians of this land, you know we're still on that journey, and of course, some of it isn't isn't available to everyone, you know, even myself as as an aboriginal person there's there's knowledge that isn't available to me and it's it sure as hell isn't available to you know the rest of the country so we have to understand the sensitivities around that and, and respect those um those boundaries and those, those laws but yeah there's there's a huge amount of of knowledge there it's it's incredibly important to understand you know Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were the first scientists. They were the first astronomers, and understanding that, the complexity of that, is incredibly important. Not just to us, not just to you know Indigenous people, but it's incredibly important to Australians and. Um, you know, to to humans, to the history of, of humanity.
3: If you've just joined me, I've been speaking with uh, Indigenous astrophysicists during this National Science Week, talking a bit about her role. We're going to go to a quick break now, and then we'll be back with uh, Carly Noon talking a bit about her work and, and looking into research within uh, Indigenous astronomy. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. And welcome back to Strong Voices. I'm Kyle Dowling, and this morning I've been speaking with Indigenous astrophysicist Kylie Noon during National Science Week. Kylie, I understand you've looked at things like Indigenous astronomy. Can you tell us a a bit about some of the discoveries and and your research in that area?
1: I research the Milky Way and look at what the Milky Way is doing and and how that Keeps going, and you know, how we how the Milky Way continues to produce stars, and so that's my my area of research. But on top of that, I am really interested in Indigenous astronomy and learning more about it. Um, I have done a little bit of research into the field, and that was concerned about um, looking at different weather predictors that different countries used. And so one of those weather predictors was looking at the sky on a cold night and noticing that the moon often gets a halo around it when it is super cold. And this halo is produced by little ice crystals that are floating up in the upper atmosphere. And a lot of countries across Australia, they would see this halo And they would be able to get an understanding of storms and how likely a storm is to hit, when it's going to hit, um, how bad it's going to be. And they would use different properties of this moon halo, you know, how big it is, how many stars you could see, how windy it is at the time. All these different properties to determine how the storm's going to hit, how bad it's going to hit. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit of research that I've done. Another thing that I, I find really, really interesting is the fact that stories that, that were known and passed down on this land are also shared with other civilizations all across the world. So the Greeks and Native Americans and Babylonians and Hungarians, and, you know, the list goes on all have very similar stories to what we have and you know being the the oldest surviving civilization it just kind of makes you wonder like what that connection is how how we were connected to you know the rest of the world and we still don't know how to answer this so it's not really a discovery as such but it's um you know it's a mystery how how we were so connected
3: so, in terms of research, research from astrophysicists and, and your work in particular, how does that sort of actually impact you know us today?
1: I think it's really important for, for everyone, but I think it's particularly important for us. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were the first scientists. It's about our, our culture and our stories, and, and you know what's relevant to us, and, and continuing that. You know, I never really saw science as this important thing, not until I got a little bit older, And then I started, you know, seeing all these things that impacted us. But we weren't a part of that conversation. Now we're starting to get an understanding that, oh, actually, we've been doing this longer than anyone else. And yet we were still being kept out of these conversations, um, these scientific conversations. And so, for me, I think think it's really important because it impacts us every day. And we should be in there saying, yeah, this suits us. Or, no, that doesn't really... Um, that's not really important to us, and, and we should be able to have input into these these conversations as um, as the first scientists.
3: Talking about young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from across the country, do, do you think there is uh, you know? more of an understanding about those different sciences? Or do you think, you know, more mob are wanting to get involved in science? What would you say to those sort of people who may be a bit on the fence or, or like you were saying before, may not um, yet have that connection in terms of what those maths and sciences actually mean to to them and and the world around them and, and country and things like that?
1: I think science and tech is well-loved and welcomed into our communities. You know, it's not something that's necessarily new for us. We're quite used to change and we're quite used to new things. And so I think mob absolutely love science and they love tech. You know, we just don't necessarily love it in the classroom and I think that's where the difference is right Uh, and I think this is for a lot of people not, not just mob in particular but I think this is a problem where the exposure that we get to science and tech in the classroom isn't really the same idea as what we think of when we think about science and when we think about tech. And, you know, those two get confused. They're, they're not the same. They're quite different. Um, and school in general can be, you know, a little bit bit rough for people. It certainly was for me. Um, you know, I certainly had a hard time at school and struggled to, to keep at it. But I think what, what's really important is, is trying to step outside that, trying to step outside school and see where science is outside of the classroom And you'll start to notice that it's everywhere. It's about how the ecosystems work, how the animals are surviving off the land and and how we in turn survive off the land and how we contribute to that and you know, it just it impacts everything and it's you know, it's a real shame that our exposure to it in the classroom isn't necessarily what we see outside of that, because you know it's it's an incredibly beautiful thing to be able to study, trying to understand how things work. And yeah, I, I hope you know if there are people out there, kids, but also older people if they are out there and they're listening and they're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I love science, science is deadly, to embrace that. And there's many ways that you can embrace that. You know, we have this wonderful resource called the Internet now. So, you know, we can literally learn anything we want. One of the great things about this week in particular is it's National Science Week. So there's lots of opportunities to engage in science throughout this week as well.
3: And I think that's the great thing about this week, yeah, it's it's looking at it from a very positive and engaging point of view where people are going to be excited to engage and then learn about this different, you know, different sciences and things like that.
1: We're all excited as as science communicators, you know, I know me and a a bunch of my peers, we... We love science and, and we love sharing our love for science. Um, that That's something that has been really important to me. You know, I feel quite blessed that I've been able to get the, the education and the knowledge that I have and the fact that I get to share these amazing things with people just, you know, really makes all that hard work worth it.
3: You know, you were talking about the engagement within the classroom and things like that. You know, we we saw recently the push from a lot of uh, mob and and bodies across the country looking to, you know, provide those resources for schools and students to be able to uh, integrate things like, uh, you know, when you're talking about aerodynamics, to talk about things like a boomerang and things like that. Do do you think those are a great way as well in terms of getting mob involved and, and being able to relate to things as well within the science space and maybe able to engage people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, for the longest time now, our education system has been very Eurocentric here in Australia, which, you know, to a certain extent, there there are lots of examples that are are great and really useful, but they're not the only examples that we can use. And considering the sophistication and the wealth of knowledge that we have on our own land, we have from our own people, you know, Boomerang is one example. Woomera is, is another beautiful example of Indigenous innovation. We have so many examples that are relevant to us. As you said, you know, we're able to see ourselves in that, And it reaffirms our deadliness, really. (laughs) You know, it it instills a sense of pride, you know. Our ancestors were great, you know. They were amazing inventors, scientists. And that's important for us. But it's also important for for non-Indigenous Australians to see that and to celebrate that with us.
3: And just finally then, uh, if anyone does want to find out a bit more about science and get involved in National Science Week, where can they go?
1: Yeah, so really easy. Um, the website is scienceweek.net.au au, or just Google uh, Science Week or National Science Week. It's really it's a really great week. It you know it takes it out of the classroom. It takes science out of the classroom and aims to show the community um, how important science is, but also how exciting it is. And, you know, we really try and and bring as many young people into that conversation as possible. Um, You know, what do you think is important? Where do you want science to go? Do you see yourself as a scientist? Do you see yourself in that position? And so all these conversations are are happening all across the country. There's lots of events. There's definitely events where you are. Um, And so, yeah, check it out.
3: That was uh, Aboriginal astrophysicist Carly Noon. And if you, again, if you do want to find out more about some of the events that are happening near you, you can head to scienceweek.net.au. We're going to be hearing the very latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country right after this.
1: What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. <laughs>
3: That's right. You are listening to Strong Voices. A big good morning to everyone right across the country today and a big good morning to Damien Williams, who's joining me in the studio now for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander News. Good morning, Damien.
0: Good morning, Kyle, and good morning to all our listeners out there.
3: Well, uh, a lot's happening around the country. Let's start in uh, Yundamu. I understand some concerns around water.
0: Yeah, the um, one of uh, the country's... Remote, uh, largest remote Aboriginal communities in Central Australia, is rapidly running out of drinking water, and quality. Then the quality of the water remains uh, deteriorates as well. Um, locals say authorities are dragging their feet in finding a solution. Um, now, that, yeah, there is concerns. Um, the Power and Water uh, this report from the ABC says the Power and Water and the NT government owned utility said it did not expect it would need to truck water to Yindamoor and said the quality of water currently supplied um, complies with the national guidelines. However, a letter from Miss um, Wakefield's um, to the local independent MLA Scott McConnell sent in May this year said Yundimu was listed as a community at risk in relation to its water supply. Uh, numerous abhors... Um, have been drilled over many years in the Udemy region to to improve the capacity of water supply. But as an extremely arid region, the complexities and costs of finding new water sources has made um, that task challenging as well. And, um, yeah, it's uh, pretty scary to um, think that... uh, Well, it is really, really dry and, you know, rains haven't come for a while as well. And uh, the water aquifer that's feeding um, much of Yundamu and the surrounding areas is is running low.
3: It is really concerning and obviously something that is going to obviously require urgent action. I mean, Mm. obviously people can't live without water and the expectation of, you know, buying large bulk of, you know, bottled water in communities is really, really expensive. So. Especially yeah, that's us hope that gets sorted. Definitely. <laughs> on to our next story now, Damon. I understand you've got a story around uh, an Aboriginal commentator for the
0: AFL. Yeah, the Triple uh, Triple M uh, footies, Tony Armstrong, to become first Aboriginal um, play-by-play caller on the commercial radio. Um, he is set to take... Uh, become the first um, person on commercial radio to commentate on the Richmond vs West Coast match at the MCG, MCG this weekend as well. Tony joined the hot. Breakfast team to discuss his achievement on the pathways he took as well. So uh, Tony played for Adelaide, Sydney and Collingwood in his AFL career and has been calling for the National Indigenous Radio Service for the last two years. And um, he was a member of the AFL's first all-Indigenous commentary team on last year's grand final and has also been doing special commentary uh, comments for Triple M footy for the last two years. So that's pretty cool to see. uh, Yeah. Aboriginal follow-up um, coming to play football and then uh, going on to be a commentator in, in the game that he loves. So that's that's pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, it's that, you know, the different options for the mob when they come out of sports like this, the, there's a lot of opportunities out there. I think if if they do want to get engaged in a field like this, obviously that's something that he was very interested in. It's great to see, you know, uh, the different avenues that people can take to, to go through a field like this. And I mm. think having an Aboriginal commentator obviously... <clears throat> I think it's going to be really good obviously you know there have been some concerns over the years with, with racism within the AFL yeah. you know we've, we had the recent documentary about the Adam Goods saga and the, and the booing and the stuff mm. that happened there so I think you know as many Aboriginal people we can get involved in that process yeah. as well I think will help that whole process I think
0: yeah and you know like um, it's pretty amazing uh, for us as well Our Springs, you know having um, our very own Gilbert McAdam as well doing some commentary um, for the the uh, Indigenous uh, call team as well. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see that.
3: Definitely. Well, on that note, uh, Damien, thank you so much for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank you. We're going to go to a track now and then we'll be right back with our final story.
0: Hi, guys, this is Dan Sutton and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio.
3: This year's Gamma Festival was held on Friday, the 31st of July to Monday, the 3rd of August on the traditional lands of the Gumach people in... Uh, Gul in northeast East Arnhem Land to showcase Yolngu culture. Each year, the festival draws people from all over the country and the world from many different backgrounds and gives a great platform for First Nations peoples of Australia to talk about the issues they face and talk about solutions. Karma's Damien Williams spoke with Denise Dowden, the CEO of the Yothi Indi Foundation, which runs the festival.
2: So it's our 21st year of staging the Gama Festival. The theme for Gama this year was a Pathways to Our Future. So in terms of the theming for this year, it's a very positive, uh, futuristic look uh, moving forward, which had a profound impact on our guests. They came with that logic in their mind this year. So. It's a very positive event for the Yotha Uni Foundation. We've had quite a lot of feedback, um, just not only from, you know, grassroots people, also from kids that were in the youth forum. There were some amazing feedback in terms of the music and the musical performances uh, that took place this year. Corporate Australia has also given us some quite um, quite quite amazing feedback. So, in terms of the games festival this year, um, I I don't think um, we could have expected any more. It was quite good. Yes.
0: And now, as we know, uh, a lot of uh, um, dignitaries do go to Gama to uh, hear. Um, a lot of things, uh, what is coming from Aboriginal, pe- Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people um, this year. Do you think um, that they uh, heeded the messages uh, that uh, you you were trying to get out?
2: Look, sometimes, you know, I guess for the, the, the region of North East Arnhem Land itself, given it's such a um, very remote um, demographic, sometimes building a bridge to help... Um, uh, our colleagues from, you know, the more urban areas understand what um, what goes on in our very remote communities. Sometimes that's very difficult to, to understand unless you've sort of, you know, lived it. So trying to relay the message to this year's Ghana Festival, all of our Ghana festivals really is... Um, I think it has been heated. People um, only know what they know, right? And so... You need that information um, input to understand uh, what what people in very remote communities are actually dealing with on the ground because it is starkly different.
0: And, and do you think, um, you know, uh, with such festivals as Gama, Buranga and other places like that, how important do you see um, these kind of festivals giving a platform for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to be able to voice their concerns and be able to be heard?
2: Well, it's interesting when you know you compare it to the national debate about a voice to Parliament. Really, the platform of the Ghana Festival and, and other Indigenous festivals is really important at the moment because you know we we need to uh, provide that robust conversation, and it needs to be held in a national light so that it can be um, you know in- injected into uh, policy making ideas and and so that. Uh, you know, those people in Canberra who can't sometimes get out of their Canberra bases can understand what, what some of the messages are from these festivals. Really important. Um, I, I, I don't know that, you know, we would have been able to have uh, had a conversation like we did at Gum Festival this year, say five years ago. So... You know, in terms of progressive thinking, it's been a combination of just continuing the dialogue, rolling it over to the next year, reporting it back the following year. And I guess for our guests, they've been watching um, and hearing and listening and absorbing and then also taking away from the Gum Festival and contributing um, inside, you know, their own households or the, inside their own uh, workplaces or inside the learning of some of our kids that are coming to the Gama Festival, really important.
0: And and do you think, uh, you know, over the years, uh, Gama has grown um, to become, you know, one of the main um, times where people uh, are able to bring a message across and be able to be heard on those big stages. Do you think, um, you know, with like things like social media and that kind of thing, it really does help uh, a lot with um, getting those messages across?
2: Well, it most definitely does. Um, and I think, you know, it's also learned, even for us inside the Yothi Indie Foundation, I mean, the way that uh, the Gama Festival is now um, uh, coordinated and managed has been something that has been built by Indigenous people themselves. You know, we haven't, um we hadn't waited for somebody to kind of hand something on a silver platter to us we've 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 fought for the platform um we've we've, we've built it to be a nationally significant event um and i i guess it's you know i i, I guess it's about really ensuring that we're provoking some Positive thinking or moving forward. I mean a, a, a wonderful outcome this year was that you know the Barnaby Joyce conversation about the third Chamber of Parliament had been dispelled this year um, and, and Barnaby Joyce has, has um, apologized for that. So you know I think to be able to highlight some of these areas that that might potentially bog things down in a national debate moving forward is really important. So, you know, there's a lot of um, amazing minds that contribute to the Gamma Festival. Uh, we don't massage it. You know, it is what it is. Uh, sometimes it's, it's robust. Sometimes it's feisty. Sometimes it's challenging emotionally. But, boy, what a, what a roller coaster it, it has been. Um, and that's some of the feedback that um, we have been receiving.
0: And, and what sort of um, things uh, did you really want to get across this year?
2: Well, I guess, you know, you would have heard our chairman um, talking about, you know, throwing the Constitution into the sea. I mean, that, that is the, the, the man's own personal insight and, and, and it is a staggering thought for, for, I guess, people close to him to watch that because he's devoted his entire life to you know, pushing Indigenous communities um, upwards, trying to empower them. Um and and, and when uh, you know, he he talks about the constitution such as that it's um, it's an indication of how frustrated he has become. He's you um, know, mentioned look no more, this, we, we can't bog this down anymore and I want smart thinking behind it and, and he's trying to portray that we, uh, as a nation, regardless of what colour you are, we need to do this together.
0: Yeah, and like you said, uh, you know, Mr. Ngapengwa has been battling and talking and, and pushing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people a long way for a long time. Do you think yous, uh, um the Foundation and, and Aboriginal people in general are slowly getting that message across? And it's been, is it being heard, do you think?
2: I do. I'm, I'm very positive about um, the way forward. I think there was a bit of um, mischievousness going on that, you know, to fudge any clear messaging. So we have been very responsible in making sure that we are leading and, and this year's, leading in detail too and digging down on the details. So this year's Gama Festival, um, if you have a chance to listen to Jawi Yuna speech this year, I'd like any of your listeners to listen to my speech even in the Northern Territory and some of the frustrations that we face when we're trying to be proactive uh, and trying to deal with with matters you know in the almost in the trench line sometimes and Danny Gilbert's speech the keynote speech um, digs down on the legal uh, components that need to be factored into constitutional reform I mean all of these matters are essential uh and um provided by Indigenous uh, uh, people themselves to a national audience. These festivals are really important because otherwise the gatherings that the communities are having are really for funerals. Mm -hmm. So a festival is a really positive ability for families to come together and not mourn, for goodness sake, to, to showcase and highlight the beauty of the culture. It's it's fundamental. Um, And I I hope that, you know, Australia's going to stop looking down upon Indigenous communities and Indigenous people and understand that there are reasons why people are living like they are these days in in this impoverished state.
0: On that note, Denise, thanks very much for talking to us here on Calm Radio.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you very much.
3: Well, that concludes Strong Voices for this morning. We'll be back the same time tomorrow.
0: Beka il